This week on A Lively Experiment. You have the green light to open September 14th for full in-person school, except for Providence and Central Falls. A lot more questions than answers after Governor Raimondo clears the way for nearly every school district to welcome its students back into the classroom. And federal coronavirus money was supposed to help ailing small businesses, but is it too little, too late in Rhode Island? A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen-White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, Leanne Senek, National Committee Woman for the Rhode Island Republican Party, retired Albert Medical School professor Pablo Rodriguez, and political strategist Rob Horowitz. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. Well, Governor Raimondo's announcement giving the green light to most local school districts for their students to go back to class has been met with confusion by some cities and towns where local officials say that some of their buildings do not pass the public safety test. Meanwhile, the governor raised some eyebrows earlier this week when she said that parents might have a good legal case if their local school district does not provide in-person classes for the students. We'll get to that in a moment, but to set the table, we have a highlight reel from some of what she said on Monday. Take a look. You have the green light to open September 14th for full in-person school, except for Providence and Central Falls. The Department of Health recommends that Providence and Central Falls reopen partially and not fully in person. October 13th, thereabouts, we will check in with folks in Providence and Central Falls and see maybe at that time, might they be able to go back for full in-person learning. I would want to pledge to you that everyone who had symptoms in school, staff or students, could be tested and have results within 48 to 72 hours. We will be establishing more than a dozen dedicated swab sites for students and teachers in K through 12. And we have 10 rapid machines to test students or teachers who develop symptoms during the school day who need immediate results within minutes. The states provided backup supplies to every public school to support districts with any supply shortages. We are undertaking a massive, but I believe important and life-saving initiative to inspect every single school building before it opens to receive children. We have a test positive rate of 1%. We're testing more than any state in the country. We're the only one doing the walkthrough of every school. We know children will test positive. We know people who work in the schools will test positive. But we're prepared for it. So the game plan right now is for everybody to start in some form on Monday, September 14th. And then the governor said there's going to be kind of a phased roll in. If you don't feel comfortable with everybody going back or the hybrid plan, it'll roll out over a month. Pablo, let me begin with you. You wear a couple of hats here, both the political analyst hat, but also the medical hat. There's just been so much confusion here and every district is different. I wonder what you think as you see this playing out. There seems to be more questions now. Uh, than answers after the governor's briefing earlier this week. 
Uh, no doubt about it. And I wear a third hat. I'm, uh, I'm a member of an advisory uh, group on uh, COVID in the minority community, people of color in Rhode Island for the governor. And um, everyone is struggling to find out what the best uh, answer is. And uh, we have to understand that we are dealing with uh, a pandemic that um, we're learning as we go. And that's why you see, you feel uh, confused uh, sometimes about some of the policies that are being uh, promulgated. I think it's important that um, we base any of these decisions on the science. And that's why Providence and Central Falls with positivity rates that are uh, exceeding um, the, the safe levels uh, are being held back. Um, but you know, we have to be you know, very, very concerned about the ability of districts to be able to uh, keep students safe, whether they are able to, to have uh, all the PPE, they are able to uh, keep students safe in the classrooms. Uh, and that's going to be a, a very, very heavy lift. And obviously some of the superintendents have decided that uh, they really can't do it, that they don't have the resources, they don't have the physical plant. Um, and at, at some point we have to respect, you know, local authorities uh, in their decisions. Just quickly before we, before I go to uh, Leanne on this, some people, some people were a little bit, um, I don't know, nervous when the governor said, we know people are going to get this. Teachers are going to get it. Kids are going to get it. And I think that's the reality. But I mean, some people I think are nervous because this virus has been so unpredictable. We know m mainly older people, but there have been some younger. We really, the science is out right now on how it affects children. So from the medical perspective, what do you think when the governor says that it's coming, but we'll be ready for it? Yeah, it's and and it's the, the balance of risk, right? Um, what I tell my patients when fa faced, you know, with circumstances such as this, is that you know the risk of uh, to your life um, uh, from driving to school, uh, from you know just living your life, is is much higher than the risk of dying from COVID, um, and, and, and in terms of children. So you know we have to keep that in perspective, and also we have to keep in perspective the statement of the Academy of Pediatrics that basically saying that uh, the, the health of children is affected by not going to school. So we have to balance of all, these, all these risks. Uh, and, and eventually, you know, some schools are going to have to close if the, uh, if the infectivity rates increase. Leanne? Well, I, I agree that we need to look at it on the local level because it, there's different positivity rates in each community. There are some communities in the state that have very low, very few cases that have come up. So we're not gonna hold those schools back and, and prevent students from learning where they can be in classrooms that are safe for them. Um, and I do agree that, you know, for cities that have a higher positivity rate, Providence, Central Falls, we need to look at those differently and do a phased in approach and see what's working in the communities where we do get started, what's, what's working in those communities and how we're, we're tracking everyone and making sure that as they're going through the school system, through their school day, what's working, what's not working. And I think, again, this is a, a, a pandemic that we're not experienced with. The science is still out on this. We know that in the beginning we were told you don't need to wear a mask. Now we're told you need to wear a mask. So all the things that we've learned, we can take that. The things that we learned from reopening businesses, the things that work when reopening businesses, social distancing people, making sure we're using those same principles in school so that our kids are safe, our teachers are safe. And, and as far as knowing that this is gonna happen for some people, it absolutely is. But again, it, it is a risk that we have to take because the opposite side of that is keeping our economy closed down keeping parents unsure of where their kids are going to be during the day and how they're going to be able to go back to work, not knowing if their kids are going to be at home, if they're going to be in school, how that's all going to work. And there's a lot of unknowns, but I'm glad that we are working together 
um, the local government, the state government, and I think it's really important that the governor is committed to getting our kids back to school. That's huge. Rob. Yes, I, I think if you if you step back from this and 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 my like yours, Jim, my, my little girl's no longer a little girl and <laughs> she's out of college right now, so I, I don't have to face this situation. It's a very di difficult situation. I think although it's messy, I, I think that we're kind of striking the right balance. The governor is putting a little pressure on people to open schools um, precisely for some of the reasons Pablo suggested and Leanne suggested because because. Uh, one is it hurts the economy when the schools aren't open and kids aren't there. And two is, as the pediatrics folks have said, there's a real, there's a real downside for kids, particularly at risk kids who, um, who don't do as well with online learning. Um, on the other hand, there's big safety concerns. But so I think she is kind of striking the right balance um, with putting the pressure. You already saw Cumberland decide that they are going to do, do go faster to in school because of what she said. Um, and so putting some pressure on the local folks, but still at the end of the day, it's, it is going to be, you know, obviously local decisions that are made here. Rob, let me ask you from your political strategist hat. The governor's very measured, calculated. She doesn't really say anything that she hasn't thought about from my vantage point. She surprised a lot of people when she said, and you know what? I think parents might have a good legal case. Now, she's trying to put the pressure on Warwick, but that kind of surprised me. And I wonder politically how you think that works. She says, if you know, if you guys want to figure out what your legal options, call our office. And I thought that seemed a little out of character for her, but clearly I don't think she she said it off the cuff. I think you're right. I think it's because she has limited leverage and she's seeking leverage points. Now, you could argue whether that's a smart or a wise leverage point or not, but it's certainly a leverage point. And I think she did think it through because she thinks everything through before she said it. Pablo, one last thing before we move on uh, to another topic. One thing that really interested me was Dr. Alexander Scott, the health department director. I think this got kind of lost in all the school talk. She said they've had only five cases this summer from summer camps. Now, clearly, it's different. You're outside. You're not in a classroom. But I thought that was really encouraging to say you have kids running around. You know kids aren't always going to have their masks on. But I thought that was a pretty low number. Did, did that surprise you or did you think that's right where it should be for a summer? No, for a summer? It, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. And um, the, there's, a, there's a full study that was uh, carried out here in Rhode Island that's being used by other districts throughout the country on daycare centers and the uh, and the level of infection of daycare centers by limiting the number of children that are in contact with each other, limiting the number of adults, uh, using PPEs, having strict protocols. And they have been able to show that, that we can uh, control the infection rate with very, very strict um, guidelines. And, um, you know, in, in that sense, we, we need to be, um, you know, proud that Rhode Island is leading the way in this effort. Okay. I had a story uh, we're taping on Thursday. It was in this morning's journal. We did it for the Hummel Report also. I've been following this issue about the federal coronavirus aid, $1.25 billion. The governor has been hesitant to release a lot of it for small businesses. And a lot of people say these small businesses are kind of dying on the vine because they're not getting it. The bottom line on the story I did for today was only a tenth of the 50 million that she's allocated, $5 million has been sent out. The small businesses tell me it, there's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot. It's a lot of hurdles, basically, and that some people aren't surprised that only that much has gone on. Leanne, let me begin with you on this. I mean, this is small business, as we say, is the backbone here. But it's got to be so frustrating that money sitting in an account and they can't really get at it. 
Yeah, it's very frustrating, and it's just, it's frankly not good enough. Um, it's, it's not good enough that we have not been able to get this money into the hands of the people that need it, the small businesses, to keep them going, to keep our economy going, to keep people employed. And the paperwork part of it, yeah, I'm all for checks and balances. Absolutely, I think that we need to have those checks and balances there. But there are a lot of easier ways of doing this. And, and there are different ways that we can look at getting that money to those people, whether it's through actual direct grants, through tax credits, we should be looking at how people are, you know, you need a letter of good standing from the state of Rhode Island. For the Rhode Island Division of Taxation, you can issue a letter of good standing to small businesses, and that could qualify them for a credit on the, the minimum corporation tax, the franchise tax. So they're not worried about putting that $400 up next year. There, there's a lot of different ways that we can utilize that money and make it easier for businesses to are, that are already established and already have the parameters to qualify without having to jump through all of these hurdles. Businesses have experienced increased costs due to this pandemic, whether it's providing PPE with masks, sanitizer, partitions, different things they've had to re remodel their businesses so they could reopen and get back into the economy, that we should be looking at what the average cost is to providing that PPE for all employees and looking at credits for employers based upon that as well. Um, another thing we haven't really looked at too much is the minimum wages going up in Rhode Island, October 1st, we're going from 1050 to 1150. And employers are gonna incur that cost, but not just the actual wage increase, but the payroll tax increase. So what I'd like to see is the, the governor talking about freezing that, um, the payroll tax part of it, so that, yes, the employees will still benefit from the higher minimum wage, but we're not um, patting the government with more taxes on that. If we, we can we can cap what we're paying in on taxes at that 1050 rate rather than raising that for people. There's a lot of different ways that we can help businesses and there's a lot of different ways that we can do it easily and efficiently that won't uh, break the bank. And then we can use that CARES Act money to, to fill those holes. Yeah, Rob, the governor, I think, was a little surprised. I think there was a bit of a miscalculation. She really thought that Congress was going to act and that there might be a second round so she could free this up. She's trying to balance the, the state bu budget deficit on one hand and the Corona Act money. So a lot of this is, is wa kind of waiting on Washington, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. Well, since I famously and wrongly, not for the first time wrongly, <laughs> predicted, I think, on the last time I was on this show, that, that the congressional deal was all going to be done in August and we were going to, and, and, and that we should all just wait for that to occur. And it was definitely <laughs> going to occur. I think my credibility on this issue might be a little dented. But I'd say two things. One is I think your story brought needed attention to the limited amount we can do in Rhode Island, but we're not doing. And I think the governor reacted appropriately by saying essentially what Leanne said, not in all the specifics, but it's not good enough and they're going to work to do better. And they should streamline it. Uh, small businesses create six out of every 10 jobs approximately in the United States. I do think, I'm still a cockeyed optimist. Um, I do think by October, because oh, they've got, they've got a, on, in Washington, by, by, because there's a deadline for just funding the government, there is going to be something worked out. The fact that there hasn't been something worked out is, is a case study in dysfunction and nobody's got clean hands on it. I'm going to get back to it in my outrage. Okay. Pablo? Yeah, if you think you have a problem, imagine if English is not your first language and you're trying mm -hmm. to apply for these funds. Uh, small bodegas, salons, you know, restaurants, you know, in 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 the urban core are struggling uh, to stay to stay afloat, and they are a really a leading economic um, engine for for the cities, you know, for Providence, for Central Falls, for Pawtucket, um, and uh, they are really really struggling. So you know, anything that can be done to you know to it really uh, accelerate the uh, this funds from going forward. You know, ten thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars 
for a small sole proprietor business is a lifeline. So we need to move this as fast as possible. Well, and the average after all of that, the average is $9,200. So again, appreciate it. But for even those 35% of the people who have applied have actually gotten approved and only $5 million out the door. This dovetails into something else I wanted to talk about. And Rob, let me, let me stay with you on this. The legislature has been sitting on the sidelines and a lot of people have said the governor continues to renew her state of emergency. I understand we're still in a pandemic, but a lot of people said, where are the oversight committee hearings? What about bringing the governor's people in and saying, hey, what about this money? And there's so many other things going on. It really seems that the leadership at the assembly has, you can argue right or wrong, that they've said, you know, governor, you handle this right now. They really have been, they've just been MIA in some cases. I'd say two things. One is uh, political reality being political reality. There's an election in a week. I suspect some of the motivation is let's let's put this past the election. Let's not do anything controversial while the election's going on. Um, and the second thing is is people are really waiting um, because otherwise every state, not just Rhode Island, is going to be in a fiscally disastrous situation. People really are waiting for. Um, for Washington to act on this um, and and do what they should do, both on, in state and local aid and and extending aid to individuals, and I and I think that's part of what the legislature is waiting on is just to come back in and finalize a budget, but based on based on DC money coming in. If it doesn't come in, every state, not just Ryan, is going to be in a world of hurt. Leanne, the House Republican caucus has been howling about this. Again, I know they don't have the numbers, but they, Blake Filippi and Mike Chippendale have been out there talking about this, um, but seemingly deaf ears with the leadership. Yeah, when you ask, you know, where is the General Assembly? I know where the Rhode Island Republican House caucus is. They're, they've been clamoring for five months to get people back in and to get the Oversight Committee to, to meet, basically because, I mean, people act with more accountability when they know someone is watching. And there's a reason that we have a representative government. We talk about checks and balances for getting these grants to small businesses. What about the checks and balances between our executive branch and our legislative branch? We've abdicated that. Um, that, that representative government, those representatives who are there representing their districts, what the people in our state want to see, have not been there. They're not on the job. And it's, it's not really appropriate at this point. There's no reason why they cannot meet safely. Um, they can meet by Zoom. They can meet in person. There are protocols to be put in place. It, there's no reason for them not to be meeting and to be putting some oversight on all of these issues that are going on. Look at what happened with the with the nursing homes. Don't we want to know like what happened with that? The, the, the money that we have spent, where has that gone? The money that we're holding on to, why are we still holding on to it? There's so many issues that we need to talk about getting our kids back in school. We could be talking about that with the oversight. There's, there's so much, and they've just really walked away from the table for no apparent reason other than the fact that, yeah, it's an election year. So do we let them skate by on that? No. And, and, and by having such an imbalance in the General Assembly, not being able to have enough people to call them back because there's such an imbalance, that's what people should be thinking about when they're going to the voting booth in September for the primary and particularly in November, that we do need that balance so that when we want our legislator to convene, when we want that oversight there, we can actually have the ability to call those people back in to do their job. Yeah, Leanne, we spent $166,000 on plexiglass. I think they could use that. Pablo, why don't you weigh in on this? Yeah, it, it's, it's just basically plain plausible deniability, uh, you know, for the General Assembly. After everything is done, they'll be able to say, well, I could have, I should have, I would have, uh, you know, done something once they get the results. Because this is a rock and a hard place for the governor. She can't win, you know, we know against a pandemic when you don't have enough funds, when you have a budget that is absolutely destroyed. Um, and all the fault is going to fall and, uh, onto her. 
All right, we've uh, got a lot of national to get to. Leanne is fresh back from the Republican National Convention. We'll get to that momentarily, but I don't want to short you guys on outrages. Rob, let's begin with you. So you have an outrage or a kudo this week? We're doing a little early. I have an outrage, and it, and it, it gets back to the conversation we were just having. The, the fact that Congress and the president can't reach an agreement that is in everybody's political self-interest to provide the, the aid that families need, to provide the eviction relief that tenants need, and to provide the money that states and local governments need, otherwise they're gonna lay a bunch of people off that both Federal Reserve chairs said, both the current one and the former one said essential to, to not short circuiting was is already a pretty uh, lame economic recovery, understandably during COVID, is outrageous. And I'm, and I'm gonna not put my partisan hat on. I think, I think everybody who's involved in this, McConnell, um, Speaker Pelosi, the President, Mnuchin, anyone else you wanna put in there, they all take their fair share of the blame. This is in political self-interest of everybody. Most importantly, though, it's in the best interest of the country, and it's simply not getting done yet. All right. Leanne, what do you have this week? I have an outrage. Um, there were seven men arrested um, in Providence for the rape of a 16-year-old girl. There's one still um, as a fugitive from justice, one still um, being sought for to be brought in. And it's just it's, it's terrible to see these kinds of stories happening right here in our state. And it, it's just outrageous that something like this could happen. And with all the, the work that we've done to make people more aware um, of women's rights, of human rights, all of those things, and these things still happen, we have so much more work to do to make people see others as humans, as not just a commodity that can be used. And it's, it's just, it's so disturbing on every level. And I do give kudos to the Providence Police Department and particularly to that 16 year old girl for coming forward, having the the courage to come to come forward and to confront these people who, who've done such a terrible act. All right, Pablo, what do you have this week? I don't know, could it be that the CDC is just about to approve uh, a vaccine before it's safe and effective, as long as it's before the election, or that the FDA, uh, in the course of approving uh, uh, convalescent plasma treatment, uh, re uh, reported false and misleading information uh, the day before the Republican convention, uh, or that the president of the United States uh, just denied that well over 200,000 people haven't died from COVID. Um, and his source of information, the Twitter Journal of Medicine. Uh, my outrage is not that. My outrage is how come more people are not outraged? <laughs> the outrage of, about the lack of the outrage. Exactly. All right. Let's save the last six minutes for the show. Leanne, you were in uh, Charlotte and then Washington uh, DC for actually for the president's speech. Tell me, so you were the one people watch you on TV giving the roll call. That's pretty exciting. Although it was uh, in the morning as opposed to the Democrats had done it at night. Just so if you just want to do a little recap about what that was like, and then now we're in the sprint to November and how you see the race and what each candidate has to do, particularly what Mr. Trump has to do with some of the challenges facing with the pandemic, the economy, et cetera. So go ahead. Well, I think the convention was a great um, jumping off point to uh, re-kickstart re um, the campaign on both sides. I think that you saw, um, particularly on the Republican side, we had a lot of positive speakers. We had a lot of energy in the room um, because we did have some people there in person, so that made it a little bit different. And just the idea that we're ready to move forward and talk about the positive ways that the Trump administration has put policies in effect that have helped people, how those things can continue in the future. And I think it has had an effect because you see Biden has come out of hiding now. He's, he's out of the basement. He's on the campaign trail. So he's, he's worried about something. They're seeing some numbers that we're not. Um, what is scary to me is we didn't really get into the election process at all, but I'd like to just highlight how 
there was a report that came out from top Democrat um, uh, pollsters that said that we may very likely see a Trump victory, a landslide victory on election night. And then once the mail ballots are finally counted weeks later, possibly, um, that could change. And with the political climate that we have in this country right now, with everything's kind of just like this powder keg waiting to go up, I, I don't see that ending well, um, particularly because we have Democrat-led states, particularly like Rhode Island, that are trying to change the rules at the last minute. And I think that's something that we should all be really paying attention to, how those things are going to change. If we're trying to count ballots that come in after Election Day, that's not something that we've ever done before. It's something we should be going to. So we have to protect the the integrity of our electoral process and not be trying to change the rules of the game at the 11th hour to try and uh, get an uninspiring candidate across the finish line. It's just, it's going to have not an effect on just this election, but everything going forward. So I want to see these candidates talking about that, talking about the integrity of the electoral process and how they're going to safeguard that. Rob, I see you smiling. Well, it's a belt tie fastball. Sorry, Leanne. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm going to, I'm going to take it. So let, let me deal with the Leanne's last point first. If we want people to become, the president needs to become. The president needs to to stop saying the election's rigged. Will there be some administrative difficulties with some of these mail ballots, which are being done because of COVID, by the way, not because of other reasons? Yes, there will be. Um, our set, do seven and eight states, Republican and Democrat, do it routinely every 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 time? And does it work? And is there almost no voter for it? Yes. And speaking of protecting the integrity of the election, how about standing up to Putin? His own national intelligence folks have, have already said the Russians are back at it. He just says it's all a hoax. Senate Intelligence Committee chaired last time I saw by a Republican, Mark Rubio, says there's a big problem still and, and details all the problems in 2016. And the president says it's a hoax. He's the president. If we, you want people to be calm and have faith in the results, lead, don't divide. But to get to the election, I don't think the convention's changed anything um, in terms of fundamentally where the race is. Biden started about seven or eight points ahead. He's at 50, Trump's at 42, roughly. If you look at the average of polls, it's roughly in the same place. Um, Biden was always going to campaign in the fall. That's not because of anything Trump's doing. The one thing Biden has smartly done is come out and, and, and made clear, because the president keeps misleading, that, that while he supports civil rights, while he supports strong police reform, he obviously does not support rioting and violence. President went to Kenosha, divided completely, defended, defended the 17-year-old shooter, by the way, who's his guy, barely said anything about, about the whole thing that started it. President continues to do what the president does. Um, doesn't mean the race is over. It means election held today. You'd way rather be Joe Biden. Something has to fundamentally change for Donald Trump to win this. Um, All right, let me have uh, Pablo go ahead and jump in. We only got a couple minutes left, and then I'll give Leanne the last word. Yeah, I'll be quick. The, uh, you know, they, uh, talking about protecting the integrity of the election begins with the president of the United States, who yesterday encouraged his followers to vote by mail and then show up to the electoral colleges and vote, try to vote in person to check the system. And then when you ask the Attorney General of the United States whether that's legal, the Attorney General says, oh, I don't know, I have to check the law. Uh, it's a felony. Um, and the President of the United States is encouraging his followers to commit felonies. That is not protecting the integrity of the election. What about that, Leanne? I mean, I know you, you support the president for his policies, but it's very difficult sometimes when he goes off the rails. What about when he says something like that? Yeah, that does make it difficult, but I understand where he's coming from because I know people who 
have gotten a mail ballot, have not turned it in, and have gone to vote. So I, it's, it's a matter of testing the system is what he's calling for. It's testing a felony. Sure that those people cannot. It is. If, if they were to vote twice, it would be a felony. If they show up to vote system, and try to vote, it's a felony. If they show up and try to see if their vote has already been recorded, that's not a felony. But if they if they do try and go there and try and vote twice, yes, I agree. They should not be doing that. But All I, right, last, I, last 15 to seconds. Is people wanting to know that their vote has been counted. And if you put in a mail ballot and you, you let it go into the mail, to me personally, I'm voting in person because I want to know that I'm putting my ballot into that machine and it's being counted. You can That's check online. You can check it's online. It's perfectly safe for us to vote in person. You I want to make check that online. The we're going back the to school. Votes by mail we're can going be checked online. Business, and it's perfectly safe to vote in person. Folks, we got to take it out back. I'm so sorry. That is all the time we have. We could use another half hour. Leanne and Pablo and Rob, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Come back next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week, everybody. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.